to down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 43 of the Out of War Down Under podcast. My name, as usual, is Adam Camilleri. I'm joined by two very interesting, very auspicious gentlemen. Maybe you may or may not know them. I know you know this one. Val, the Heffy Heffelfinger. How you doing, brother? Welcome. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, buddy. Talk about this. This is a sure sign that everyone canceled on Adam at last second. When old, <laughs> old Heffster uh, gets called geez. up to the Art of War. Uh, well, you may say that about yourself, but hopefully this this second gentleman does not feel that way because he is a man of much renown uh, in the community, doing very, very fine works for a very long damn time, consistently straight, without break, without stop. I relate. Rob Symes from the Honest Wargamer. Hello, my man. Hi. I mean, if Val got invited before me, then I'm right at the bottom of the 40k barrel. I respect and know how hard it is for UK time zones to commit to a Australian time zone, so usually I don't try and cross that pond all the time. Adam just had a misspelling in his in his like handwritten Rolodex. He spelled your name as Rob, so you're just at the bottom. <laughs> <back>. <laughs> Hey, you asked, uh, and I was here immediately. I, I'm ready. I know, I know. It's absolutely amazing, dude. Um, I would, I do want to admit that uh, I had another, I had another episode planned. I had planned to have uh, Tom Adriani on with, um, hopefully Zach from the the LGT who didn't quite get back to me, and also Inez Wilson to come on and do a bit of a panel on talking about terrain and the state of terrain in the the 40 competitive environment I, in 40 as a whole. I can see Adriani and uh, Zach standing you up, but what's Ennis doing? Like, oh, no, Ennis was down. Ennis was down. He was bending over backwards. He was like, yeah, I mean, tell me what you oh, need. Okay. And he's All like, right. damn, top shelf Ennis, good stuff. And Tom was um, Tom was down, but he's he's got a young baby. He's currently in lockdown in Sweden at the moment. And he's like, yeah, it's just uh, not that conducive right now. Um, and so – no problems. I called in the big wigs. I called in my two two of my favorite people to listen to every week. Rob, what do you do? Where can people hear from you? Well, if you're Zach, you, I haven't replied to him for two days. So if that makes you feel any better, like he hasn't replied to you, I haven't replied to him. Oh, he's, st- he's standing me up. You're standing <laughs> him up. The cycle continues. <laughs> uh, you can listen to me on The Honest Wargamer or if you want to watch live coverage of uh, Warhammer, you can watch us on the T-Sports Network. Oof. And uh, what have you been doing nonstop for the last like over a year? Mainly trying to make Val say T sports on different podcasts. Uh, he's refused. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> but you have been streaming consistently throughout all of COVID. Literally, you started and you have not stopped. You're, you're over a year of, of streaming every single day, some form of content related to tabletop wargaming. Yeah, 448 now. Stream Street Day 448. 448. My yeah. God. I hope that is something that is celebrated far and wide throughout our community because it's a hell of an achievement. Uh, I, it- think, I think we might be able to get him a, a Warhammer Hero nom. <laughs> I, think, I think we should. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> that, that we should nominate him. We'll see how that Over goes. The list, I've heard. I've heard. Like, uh, they, they bump me down every time I say something <laughs> not okay. Um, Val, where can people hear from you? Where where might they be able to hear from you in the near future, hopefully? Well, um, every week I've been joining Rob with my dear friend Peter Colosimo on uh, the what has what has evolved into the 40k adjacent show, which is quite frankly my favorite 40k show. Um, and uh, outside of that, I've uh, I've I've joined on with um, uh, Frontline Gaming in a non-paying uh, capacity. So it's like a it's like a fun hobby promotion. Like I'm role playing an actual job. It's neat. <laughs> Um, and uh, going to try and help them craft a, a more interesting lineup of shows because um, they're down to just just a sad Reese Robbins. The flagship. Talking, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, talking to himself in an empty room. It is the uh, most primo content. He, he is not <laughs> like the scene has not left him behind. Like five years ago, when he's 10 years ago, wherever he started that, and it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, I never none of that's tarnished. I never I, miss an episode. He's he's done hundreds in a row. I, mean, I don't know. He's in like seven hundred. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, whereas this time last year, I think there were seven shows. No, mm-hmm. five shows. At least five or six shows on the network. Uh, we're down to signals. So from 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 its humble beginnings back to them. So we're going to build <laughs> that one back up. Hopefully, I'm shooting for the week before. Um, uh, the Atlantic City Open that we start um, bringing the shows back online, including mm-hmm. whatever the future iteration of Stat Center might be. 
um, and some other exciting ones. We've got some real heavy hitters lined up. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be really cool. I'm, I'm, I've been letting on a little bit of what, what Valley's got planned, and he's doing an amazing job. It's going to be very exciting content coming thick and fast. Um, apart from that, gentlemen, I'll tell you guys a little bit about Art of War Down Under. So this is a two-part podcast, as always, as is my purview. Um, the first part being made uh, public for everybody on Thursday mornings, Eastern Standard Time at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, then the other one, it goes up on our Patreon or on the artofwar40k.com website. If you want to support us and get access to the second half of this podcast, please go over there and support us in whichever way you deem and feel and see fit. But this episode, we're going to be doing a little bit of a talking heads. Uh, in, the, in the part one, we're going to be talking about some of the hot topics in the community. First and foremost, we're actually going to be talking about terrain a little bit because I still want to talk about terrain. That's a little hot topic and something that I, I think needs to be get, and given some weight. And uh, a gentleman of, of, of the standing, especially Rob, who has a, a very wonderful overarching eagle-eye view of the community in so many ways and forms has top a – Top down, a, if you will. Yeah, top down, so to speak, has some <laughs> amazing viewpoints on, on it as, so, as well. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, we're going to be talking on some of, the, some of the hotter topics, some of the things that maybe we aren't so keen about talking about. Like I'm going to be talking about cheating a little bit in part two. Um, I've kind of refrained from giving my my bits and pieces and my thoughts on that in the community and my experiences with it um, in an open setting. We're going to be doing that in part two today, and this gentleman will be helping me along in that little bit of a journey because um, it might get a little bit controversial. Uh, we're going to try not to – we're not going to tarnish anybody. We're not going to say any names or anything like that. We're not here to hurt anybody, but we're well, going to give you our glad, thoughts. I'm just glad that after all of these years, you're going to come clean about um, the way you've cheated the Australian meta for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a it's a crazy thing because I have cheated at, at tabletop wargaming in the past. Like you know, just to start it off on a bombshell, it was years and years and years ago. I was brand new. I was playing fantasy, but I'll tell that story in part two. I, I did it. I did it once. I felt absolutely foolish. Is, it didn't is this like a is this like a Rob Bear? I cheated. <laughs> no, right. it was cap. It was a it was a petty little thing that didn't change the outcome whatsoever. I was already going to lose and going to lose anyway. And, already uh, making excuses. <laughs> yeah, uh, except for all those other faux pas that I've made in the past and in the future, and will continue to make because I'm I'm an imperfect being, guys. Uh, but anyway, no, j- jump over to part two if you are at all interested. It, cheating is an interesting is an interesting topic in the community, and it, it, it's one that deserves to have a lens thrown on it. And we're not going to put it on it through anybody particular. We're not going to shine a spotlight on anybody's actions. We're going to have just a candid conversation about it and its, uh, its place in the game. But terrain, guys, terrain in 40K and to an extent terrain in Age of Sigmar as well because Rob's a very huge proponent of, of that game system also. Where do you think the lay of the land is with it so far? I'll start with Val. How do you feel like it's been enacted in Ninth edition? Do you feel like you're satisfied with the direction it's taken? Well, I have to say that I, I speak mostly from a position of ignorance on on this um and only really what i what i see uh from other people i played some limited tts stuff when ninth first dropped you know i snuck in a few garage games during a little brief covid respite that we were having here so i have a very limited understanding of 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 the major issues at play it has been kind of fascinating to me that terrain has become such a um because terrain's always been important. It's never not been important, mm. but I don't know that it's ever been so far at the front of the discourse about the meta. Maybe that's maybe that has to do with the fact that we're all playing the same missions now, and it's sort of the, yep. the wild card. You there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I was yeah. hoping someone else would pick it up and run. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It, it actually, well, so in the past, um, terrain has been very much viewed as the, the third player in every game. It's you versus your opponent, and your opponent versus you in the context of the terrain. I feel like we got a little bit away from that. Certainly in, well, 7th edition was a bit of a mess for terrain. 8th edition was terrain became far less relevant than it usually was. It was just kind of an off switch. Did the terrain matter? Did it not matter? Didn't really affect the game in any other way. Is that is that a fair statement? And that we're trying to get back to somewhere where it is kind of the third player again? Rob? I would say that, like, well, I mean, if anyone's listened to me talk for literally the past six months, they're so bored about hearing me talk about terrain that it is, like, it's a fascinating subject if you're in any way interested in, like, talking about the game as a competitive thing because mm. it's so effective in the game, especially in ninth edition and Props to Games Workshop for writing some competent rule sets to go with terrain and then promptly not selling us any product that goes with it which is a hilarious <laughs> dichotomy that you can never avoid they're like they're like this is really good now go to third party suppliers you're like thanks really appreciate you um uh i would say that like i would agree with you like it got a bit boring looking at novarels all the time mm-hmm. in um uh in eighth edition to some degree and that really only really sort of came to prominence maybe last last half of eighth maybe maybe it was more but my kind of experiences of it were so 
now I think what's interesting is that we've been provided with a quality set of rules to produce a meta from the terrain. And the real question mm. I think a lot of people are having and why you're asking the question and why a lot of people are still having this conversation is what is the is there a singular optimum one or is it varieties the spice of life and we can have a really great kind of conversation as TOs, as gamers, and mm. also as like competitors for like what environment we want to establish for people to play games and tournaments inside of. So I think it's a fascinating subject. Yeah, I mean, so I remember playing in, in 6th and 7th edition, and there was a very thematic element. I, mean, I remember going to tournaments in 6th and 7th edition. It was a very thematic element to a lot of the terrain. Um, that seems to have gone out the window almost entirely, and function is the king. Like, if, it doesn't matter what it looks like if it's just a couple of pieces of cardboard, but it has the right keywords, and there's enough of it, we're happy with it. Um, it I feel like something has been lost there, like lost in translation. We've lost the thematic, the... the uh, so how do, you, how do you say it? The... Um, lost the ability to put ourselves like we're on a battlefield like this is a this is a, a cityscape that's been bombed out would now it's like, though, would you say though that's because like so the the function like is super important i saw a, a, a couple of months ago i saw a tweet some guy he was like played against my friend's army unfortunately i beat him in turn one with my imperial fists and it was just like yeah. a, a bowling ball yeah like there was nothing mm. it was just it was just grasslands so like do you think that the function is king because it's what everyone wants. I think it's because you 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 need it for the game to even function. Uh, one of my That's good co-hosts, yeah. one of my good co-hosts, Tom, has said that it's actually not that great a game because if you take the terrain away, it's useless. Like it's it's in- integral, right? Like front up, yeah. Can't play forty k a- without terrain. That's I would, a great I would way. Say if, if you're saying that like terrain has lost a lot of its flavor in the sense that you know like they. Even going back a little bit, you had a lot more scatter terrain. You had more mm-hmm. area terrain. You had stuff that was just a little more cinematic and pretty looking. I think a lot of like so yeah the the rule set and specifically coming out of eighth into ninth where we have more opportunity to add different features to the battlefield is one thing because we just all you wanted in eighth was line of sight blocking and ruins. Yes. That's all, yeah, yeah, all that really mattered, right? And um, but I think the other thing that happened in eighth edition was that you had this massive scaling up of tournaments. You know, tournaments went from being a grand tournament at 28 players <laughs> yeah. to 28 players being like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, do we even need to talk about this? You know, like mm-hmm. it was, um, I think in, in 2019, you had at least double the amount of 100-person tournaments that you had in 2018. Yep. Um, and just double the amount of tur- like grand tournaments and larger events in general. So I think the blandness of terrain probably has a lot to do with the fact that TOs have bigger ambition they've come on like there's a lot of new tournaments that meant that a lot of new terrain had to be built and as a result you know maybe it's not the prettiest stuff yeah well exactly right and also in addition to that i this is one of the reasons i wanted someone like tom adriani and uh, zach from the lgt on because i wanted to ask them about the burden of creating functional um quality and quantity terrain for you know eighth and ninth edition the amount of terrain we had on the table between seventh edition and then the transition to eighth edition it literally doubled the amount of terrain you had on the table literally doubled i remember playing on tables in seventh edition all through seventh edition and you'd have like three maybe four ruins and then scatter and that'd pretty much be it they and the, the ruins varied in size they weren't uniform l's or you know, some of the WTC pieces that are literally built big enough to hide a knight. And that's something that has to be done now. You have to have that on tables. Otherwise, like to Rob said, the game loses functionality. It loses the ability to play an interesting interactive experience. So what do you, so Rob, you are somebody who is, you know, you're creating running tournaments. You're going to be running a, a, a huge, huge amount, a huge swathe of events. Have you felt that burden? You felt that pinch going into seventh and eighth edition? Well, like, yeah, I, so I've set up, uh, during lockdown, uh, I've set up a venue and then in setting up the venue, and it's not a huge venue, but it's it's different. Like it's an, it's only eight tables, but each one of them is streamable. So like it's it's pretty different, I think, to like a lot of... studio but, venue, stadium venue. Stadium venue, yeah. It's a crucible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so one of the things, obviously, is because not only is it a tournament setting, so I need functional terrain, but it's also a streaming tournament uh, so I need mm. functional and pretty terrain. And let me yeah. tell you, I have been on a journey. I could talk to you about <laughs> this for hours. So, uh, the, so the, the first thing you need to do, obviously, is you need to wrap your head around what you need physically. Like that's mm. the key part, and that's actually not that easy to do. Huge shout out to Ishik uh, for the WTC pack because at least whether or not people think that's perfect or not perfect, at least that gave everyone a jump off point 
for what we think terrain or terrain maps should look like. Obviously, then TTS was huge, and like this has been like an evolving conversation over the past year. So TTS was huge. Then they were using sometimes they're using WTC maps, sometimes they weren't using WTC maps. So you could look at that. Then very recently, Zap from the LGT put his terrain pack out as well. ITC have their own terrain pack, I'm pretty certain as well, which I've looked at as well. And the point about the maps is as soon as you see the maps, you think, cool, okay, I'd like to replicate that. And you can Mm -hmm. buy the ITC terrain and run it like ITC terrain, or you can buy Ishix WTC terrain and run it like WTC. But I would say neither, maybe the ITC stuff more, I would say is like super themey. Like I think it's mm. fine. I would say that I, I would say Ishix is more functional, but probably not as good looking. And the ITCs is better looking, but I don't think it's functional as the WTC terrain. And then there isn't a medium in between. And of course, this is really key. Like you were talking about theme. Like it's super exciting to play on a city board for the next 45 years of our lives but <laughs> it would be super nice uh, like if we could design stuff that also looked good so actually mm-hmm. I, i've started to have a guy do me some designs for some things so i've got some eldar boards we've literally made some l dars <laughs> the l's but they're eldar uh, L's. yeah thanks. actually those are really cool i yeah. like that yeah i mean they're, they're not again like he's a great guy but like we're not talking like top end. Like some some stuff I've really liked as well is the American Art Award guys. They've had a, a designer design them some stuff that's all like CAD filed and uh, like I don't yeah. think it's printable, right? Like it's something you can purchase and that stuff's beautiful. But for someone looking to set up a venue, it just wasn't in any way functional for me uh, to go through. And I know this is super long winded, so I'll try and cut it short. So as someone setting up a venue wanting functional and pretty terrain. There just wasn't the product to buy, mm. which is wild. When you look at the market cap, which I'm sure Val can talk about loads of Warhammer 40,000, oh. when you look in, like if you wanted to recreate the, uh, like a WTC board from um, eight games workshops uh, terrain sets, it would cost you nearly 400 pounds. Like I've done English that, by the way. I have, I have that table. And it yeah, did. And it, 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 quite, it quite well, Australian dollar reduce, it cost me a lot more than that. But I was lucky I had a bunch of vouchers. So. Yeah. But, so, but the answer is, like, to, 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 fly through to the end of a, a very torturous journey for me for several months. <laughs> uh, the end of that is, is that someone is going to start designing WTC or ITC terrain STLs on a Patreon mm-hmm. and is going to make a ton of money because I'm going to give them all of my money. So I've got, lo- <laughs> I've got, I've got seven FDM printers now um, and we've done all of our terrain on these printers from uh, I've, I've like there's a there's a really good Patreon shout out to Sacrismunda. Um, so I'm a Patreon of his, and I bought all of his files off my mini factory. Um, and some of that's kind of usable for 40k. Some of it's just really pretty and useless. It's just like a round Eldar temple. I'm like, yeah. this is fine, but I can't use this at all. <laughs> and so, yeah, you've got like, sorry, I've said a lot now. I'll stop. But there isn't that you can't currently buy a, the answer to a problem which everyone in the world has which is wild. Mm. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You, there, there isn't, so no, the, no one has settled on the, the terrain layout or the product that is the thing that is going to be okay for everyone. That's going to suit everyone. I, I see lots of complaints about WTC. I hear lots of complaints about WTC. I hear lots of complaints about ITC and everything in the middle. Um, and I hear lots of complaints about G-Dub stuff. It's just like nobody can seem to come to an agreement on what is the best. Uh, I agree with you. I just think it's because we haven't made the stuff yet. We haven't made the product that's going to be the one-size-fits-all for everybody that's going to give us and tick all our internal boxes. Functionality, viewability, immersiveness, and like it's something that's actually able to be mass-produced at a non-ridiculous price point. Which is wild. Like it's it is pretty wild. Really it is pretty wild. wild. Like that we're nearly a year into this and someone hasn't produced that as a thing and i've messaged a lot of designers i've been like you're leaving money on the table (laughs) but i mean did we have that ever like and that's what i'm talking about like the why is this suddenly such a big deal the only thing i think only reason i think it is a big deal is because we have a unified rule set for the first time when wtc was doing their own thing and designing a rule set and a pack and an faq around their around their terrain system it worked. It worked in concert with each other, and they could adapt it as they saw fit. Same thing for the ITC. When the ITC was doing their own terrain thing, like LVO that we streamed um, you know, in 2020, the terrain worked magnificently. But that same terrain 
has the goalposts have shifted on that stuff. It doesn't work like it used to. It's not enough. People even today, I saw stuff on competitive 40k going up saying, "Hey, is this this is what is supposed to be at the Atlantic City Open?" And it's the same train we had at LVO. It's only like a year and a half later, and it's completely changed the parameters of what we can and can't accept on a competitive table. And I. I think that's because we have a unified rule system now. So we are the community. We are expecting a rule, unified terrain system as well. Would you? Would you not also argue, as as a pretty competent gamer uh, in this field, would you not also argue that specifically how you play the game is inherently changed because you have to go to objectives? Like I know you technically yes. had to go to objectives in Eighth Edition, but like, did you really? Great question. Like, uh, like, but, yeah, yeah. but you have to be more like the board is more important to move around the board and not just mm. move and die like you have yeah. to be more and i think like i think it's the structure of the game is also really important as well like i think mm. that's changed yeah i actually I, I totally agree with that as well and it's definitely a really good point because you're right in, in eighth edition and in especially in the itc uh, missions you'll be just like oh yeah if that guy moves on to that objective scores me four points and then explodes Totally fine. Not the same deal now because if that guy's not standing there scoring your primary points next turn because he needs to survive through your opponent's turn, um, you know, you don't get points. So, e.g., there needs to be some way for that guy to enhance his survivability. E.g., we need functional terrain. Um, what's uh, what's interesting to me in all of this, too, is like, you know, there are, I would say there's three, you know, leaders that people would look to to answer this question. Um, mm -hmm. Only one of them has answered it. So that'd be the WTC. WTC, yeah. Um, and some detail. In fact, maybe maybe too much. Maybe want to, maybe they went a little too far. But they, <laughs> but they have to they have to do that because they have you know the need to have eight tables with different densities on each to sort of fit their mm -hmm. format. So I kind of get that. But the two that haven't entered the arena yet, obviously, Frontline Gaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we'll see. I mean, you're right. Well, like I, chop, I don't chop, know that. Buddy. The, Send off the, the pigeons. Chop chop. Get on your get <laughs> yeah. on your horse. Make it happen. Well, We'll see what happens at ACL, right? Like, I mean, they they, they probably are going to be running tables very similar to yeah what they had at that last LVO mm. on a smaller table. I mean, that's something, right? The yeah, the, sure. the, the, it has shrunk down, um, but you know, yeah, that's a very good question. Will it be enough? Previously, I mean, they had some tables like the the orc, um, like the the orc village one, um, even the sort of the, the, the Necron Tomb World one. Do you remember the hangar? Um, the hanger that was literally like a quarter of the table in the middle of the table. That was That's so right. cool. The I mean, hanger, it was, it was they, just they like, <laughs> give me the town matchup, please. Give me the town yeah. matchup on the hanger table. Uh, you sorry. could go, yeah, that was when you could, uh, you could go into buildings in, in, in ITC, right? The yeah. uh, magic, magic ruins, but magic boxes, magic yeah. boxes. Um, but anyway, like to me that they, they do have the potential there for enough density. What they actually don't have a lot of are things like, um, like, uh, what do they call it? Dense drain. Um, so stuff that's going to get in the way. Any area terrain they just never yep. bothered with because most of their mm. expansion was done during Eighth Edition. When that stuff didn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Things like the craters, things like the the barricades and the and the forests, the things that were kind of integral to Sixth and Fifth, Sixth and Seventh Edition, which just yep. had no functionality in Eighth Edition. So everyone literally sold them, chucked them in the bin, chucked them in the bottom of the the storage unit, you know, at the back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, that's, uh, someone, someone, someone should probably message Reese when he's, uh, you, know, you know, wake him up in the middle of his podcast uh, <laughs> and uh, ask him, like, uh, are they adding any any of those types of elements to their train boards? Because I feel like from a from a, like a density and line of sight blocking point of view, and maybe I'm naive about this, I feel like they're probably not far off. They're just missing elements that they would need to add. And then, yeah, that's fair. And then the um, the the biggest one, of course, is Games Workshop, and this is something I think Rob pointed out on on the adjacent show a while back, which is, um, you know, uh, Brant is going to be running, uh, you know, at least three tournaments that we know mm. of. Yep. Uh, in the deep south, you know, starting at some point in the future, and as soon as you know, even if whether or not he intends it to be uh, the way, you know, it, whether or not he intends it to be interpreted as the way it's supposed to be done. Because of the gravity of those events and his office, and the fact that he has, you know, Games Workshop on his shirt, hmm. I think that how those how those tables are arranged, I think, have a very good chance of becoming, you know, canon as to the the way that it is intended uh, yeah. to be. And I wouldn't be surprised if that immediately becomes the meta. Because, well, right, sorry, Rob, you're you're about to say something. Well, yes, like. I think the the interesting element about all three of those talking heads, really WTC Games Workshop and ITC, 
um, in that format is that their decision-making on the tabletop is inherently tied to a product that they produce. Games Workshop mm-hmm. more so than ITC and then ITC more so than probably WTC. Like if I was, maybe, like that's my scale. Definitely Games Workshop above the other two. And my point with that is, is that it's never a ground up situation. Like it's, you're walking, you know, you're, you're trying to like do some DIY and it's like, what tools do I have to hand? You know, when you start painting and you don't go, right, what colors am I going to use? You just look at whatever colors are closest and those are the ones you're sticking on the model. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I feel like what's interesting is, and this isn't meant to be critical, it's just more meant to be like, great question, like, let's talk about it as a group, is that there are obviously product lines that, are in, that these people have that they're fitting to the situation. Whereas yeah. I think the better version that is possible and also a cheaper solution for the community, for new TOs, for just people playing at home, is that there are files specifically designed, thematically designed as well. I think that's the other important part and that can be run off 3D printers. I'm a huge proponent for that because I think it really, what it does for the community, which is really what's more important to me than than any individual group, is it lifts the community up and it gives them access immediately Mm. to problem solve themselves. Like a designer can just say, look, here's a set of dense terrain that's orc style, medium and light um here are some ruins here are some crates whatever it doesn't have to go through like a design like it goes through a design process but it doesn't have to go through like a production process Mm. stocking delivery none of that process and i think that's going to be the interesting conversation because like val said when brant does those worldwide tournaments like you know val's like that's going to be the standard i've played at warham world like i'm i'm in a different kettle of fish to everyone else warham world is eight minutes away um, As a matter I, of fact, I, I made fun of you because I felt a lot of your opinions about 8th edition were based on the fact that you only ever played at Warhammer World. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and the terrain is horrific. Like, yeah. like really, really, really bad. And if you go on their web store now, they do sell something you could turn into L-shaped ruins. Not saying L-shaped ruins is the only thing you need to have. But like most of it. So what are they going to... And that's a lot of product. How, like I don't know what these tournaments are going to be like, um, like numbers wise. I assume hmm. they're going to go for a lot of people. And yeah, are they, they going to put? Are they going to put that much of their own product out because they are cheap as a company? They are a cheap group. <laughs> uh, less like, on the less on the cheap dub bashing. <laughs> that's true. Oh, wait, your experience isn't my experience. My experience is literally going into the home of it to play. My experience <laughs> is that they don't put adequate line of sight blocking terrain at all for an entire edition of 40k while i paid my ticket money i can bash them all i want i paid my ticket money to go and it was atrocious was was my taxes pay for these rowers <laughs> <laughs> but that's, uh, that's that's fair review so like yeah, i'm fascinated yeah, as a customer uh, for sure as a customer 100 that was me as a customer and i reviewed this on my show as well i was like this is this is this is not okay so i'm interested because i think well, val's I, point is that, dependent right is I, think, it, is that- I think a lot of things to remember about Mike Brandt are that, like he, uh, like he's not the guy who was running those tournaments. Like he was, mm-hmm. like you've been to Nova, haven't you, Rob? Like you, you saw what no, the, the no. type of event that he go. ran. Well, you didn't go. Okay. Well, I've I've, I've seen I've seen it. I've seen what uh, what Brandt's produced, and he's like you know there's a, there's a reason everyone knows the name of the Nova Open and the Nova Invitational. So yeah. I have pretty high hopes for what he's able to produce. But are we just waiting for a tournament? Are we waiting for a um? An industry standard is that what we're doing? We're waiting for an industry standard competitive layout, like because right now we do have the WTC, and a lot of people have, uh, like, uh, we can talk about this for a little bit. The the rejection of the WTC for uh, like layouts or the the inherent pushback against them, and most people of the opinion that they're too dense. Is that something you guys have experienced? Because like I hear it, I hear lot, it fairly lot, regularly. A lot of feedback I've heard as well. But then if you look at there was an event just recent this weekend in Sweden, uh, hmm. Richard Nielsen with his. Uh, uh, who I was Admech. following, yeah, Admech, I was following along with, and it, some of his games were just over turn one. He just like auto yep. shot people turn one, yep. um, and like I don't know, maybe it's too dense, but it's, it definitely needs to be more dense than that event in Sweden this weekend, for example. Um, mm. You know, so it, have we hit the perfect standard? Not really sure. And everyone's going to do their own thing, which I think is a nice throwback to Val. Because Val, uh, on the 40k stats, and I'm sure maybe you've talked about with this, Pete, with there not being a, a standard, like it surely has to be a part of the conversation whenever you review the stats, right? 
Yeah, and I guess only when it's insufficient. I think it's it's a very new problem to have too much. That is yeah, actually that it is, is super new problem. Crazy um, new problem. <laughs> so uh, I think well, when it's a shooting gallery, that's usually when it's a story. When it's too dense, like there was a there was a memeish. It was actually run by by uh, Kelly Wallace, who's a, one of my favorite tos. Uh, he runs Warzone Atlanta, but they ran they ran a tournament early. Uh, I guess we were we were maybe in the fall, and they ran the missions raw. So like they actually did player place terrain. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they also had a lot of terrain on hand, so people would just pile all the the terrain in the middle of the table. If you had a night, you couldn't go anywhere. Like it was just it was very silly. So yeah, there's a balance there, and I think I think essentially it's going to probably that standard's going to be set by if if WTC is being derided. I thought it was kind of used for the most part. I didn't realize that it'd been rejected. Um, well, so not rejected. It's contentious. Is, is more, contentious. more the point? Yeah, I, I think I think you'll probably see. People follow the lead of uh, frontline gaming, um, but probably not. I think you'll probably see people follow the lead of whatever um, you know a Games Workshop does at their events. Yeah, I think well, a lot of it I think will be determined by who's the big wig in your area. Like you know, the the California scene will probably follow what FLG does because that they'll be running SoCal and BAO there and things like that. That'll become the standard there. But that, um, that, like, that, I, was, I, that was that's what happens in a vacuum, right? Like yeah, true, I think true. People people were like, I don't know that. Um, I remember there was before ninth actually came and and people started using it. Like there was some discussion as to whether or not people would actually embrace a standard mission set. And I hmm. was always saying, absolutely, they will. Yeah, this community are they're all fetishists for <laughs> official canon bullshit. So I have no um, reason to doubt or or think otherwise that if if there is anything that smells or even has a whiff of an official and sanctioned terrain layout that gets rolled out for those those grand tournaments that immediately you will see people at, maybe not maybe not having the exact stuff but in you know in 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 arrangement in density and all of that stuff, I think mm. you will immediately see people starting to at least try and mimic it. Mimic it. Yeah, I mean, well, it tells you. Whatever G Dub, if, if G Dub was to bring out an official terrain layout, as you bring out terrain maps, this is the amount of density you should have for sweeping clear. This is the amount of density you should have for vital intelligence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It would tell us a lot about whether they want it to be a shooty or a melee edition. It would tell us a hell of a lot about how they want the game to be played or how they want the interaction between two players to be. Because, because right, like, so here's a, a conversation I was going to have on, if we had um the, the other gentleman on. Um, because I I was like, okay, if if the next three or four codexes come out. And Drakari is still supreme, as in Drakari is over and above better than everything else that comes out for the next three to six months. Mm. We actually have to look at reducing terrain on tables as to be the next level, the next leveling factor that we, the player base and the TOs, can do apart, like away from G Dub. That's something that we can control and uh, we can have a say in. Essentially, our own way of patch fixing the game, so to speak, because like you know, the, one of the reasons that Drakari is so incredibly potent is that turn one they get to do nothing, and then turn two when they can all advance and charge, they get to swamp you in like essentially three waves. And because you're turn one, you didn't get to do anything. Your your ability to interact with those waves and and to reduce them and reduce their impact upon you is greatly d- diminished. Um, their speed gets to, they get the best use of their speed because they get to hop from one terrain piece to another with their their very fast maneuverability and the fact that they're uh an inherently paper mache esque you know faction they die very quickly is limited by the fact that you can't see the damn things you and yourself have to be mobile in order to get to get lines of sight which exposes you to be killed by them in return and so they force yeah. you into a trading game on on multiple levels and yeah. so the only way to get away from that was to be like hey let's just, you can't let's not not give them the ability to actually hide six or seven raiders in their deployment zone turn one let's make them actually have to hide three or four of them and we yeah. get to actually interact with some of their army um i think, and, I think likely if you do that you're trading castellans for caladius graph tanks like it's not exactly it, it just changes that, the, it just moves the goalposts what's going to happen with with drukari is at some point moses will descend the mountain and they will say <laughs> drukari are this many points uh we're going to rattle this bullshit um carry on as you were that's what's going to happen i don't know why it's taking so long but it will happen like well i'm they're they're chosen they're 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 chosen space marines were were you know protected for a period of time but mm-hmm. an outrage built up enough that they did address it with two devastating nerfs so yeah. 
Yeah, I highly well, suspect this will happen to Drew Curry as well. Well, to get, so I think Drew Curry's not as, uh, despite what people may say, or the hyper, uh, hyperbole out there, Drew Curry's not as bad as Iron Hands. Drew Curry is the inverse of what Iron Hands were. Iron Hands uh, was an army that Yo, sat there you're and just. You're going to do this to Peter? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm looking He's at upset right now. You just, you just upset him. You upset but, him. When you but they're him. the inverse. They're just as punishing. They're just as bad for the game, but in a different way. They're not bad for the game as in like, I will stand across from you and as long as I can see you, you will die. They are, hey, we will we will play peekaboo and we will kick your ass from a place of extreme safety. Does that make sense? Yeah, or danger close, or really by yeah, the sound ex- of it, ex- how exactly. the fuck they're, do you want to do it? They're the, they're the inverse. <laughs> they're the inverse. Yeah, yeah. Jukari, like Shukari doesn't kick your ass from the other side of the table. They they pick their moment and they come and just like you know they scalp you at their at their leisure and there's not much you can do about it. Iron Hands was like, okay, I can't charge you, can't close with you. You're better in combat with me for some reason. You shoot better than me. You're more durable than me. But they yeah. weren't they weren't a quick Durability. army. Yeah, yeah. They weren't a quick army. They weren't a very maneuverable army. They weren't very dynamic. They were just like, I will kill everything I can see in any phase of the game, and it was just really really toxic in fact i think iron hands was way more toxic than drukari um well, simply because they, they were they, also 30 percent of the meta like that's that's, a that's big difference. i was about to come back with that the prevalence of them because yeah. literally you think about every single space ring play it was just like iron within baby oh sorry that's iron warriors whatever um you know <laughs> whatever I mean, the iron... are more popular now like they've gone up what they, uh, they went 60%? up uh, was it 60, yeah yeah they're 10 percent of the meta now like if it, there's a good chance like you lose one game in a tournament you don't see Drakari. like that's that's probably that's, what happened that's fair like those guys have gone on to four and one um everybody get on board their yellow submarine take a nice little small loss round one and just you know straight straight up to the top baby go for the breach in turn five you know round five round six uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting what you said. It's interesting what you said, Adam, and also what you said, Val, because um, uh, you talked about reducing terrain. But I think actually one of the things we don't talk about enough is actually the variety of terrain. So one of the things, if you look at the WTC pack, is a lot of elves that are breachable, and of course yep. you could just have non-breachable squares. And yep. we already have a pretty defined meta because of breachable elves. Now, mm-hmm. I for one think that breachable elves are excellent because infantry is generally poorly done in this edition anyway because without breachable elves they just die pretty much Mm. so those jump pack infantry or just generally infantry anyway are able to do better because of breachable elves where they can hide for the the turn when they don't have that movement and then they can kind of run into onto the objective or whatever they need to do whereas you could already mix the matter up in a tournament setting for instance where you have the same terrain layout and the elves are just squares that are no longer breachable and already you're grossly affecting infantry in mm. that setup and actually uh, like adam if i was to say to you that like one tournament was going to be all breachable elves and the next one was going to be no breachable pieces of terrain i'm sure your list would change significantly between those oh, two. yeah yeah you'd have to stack things that have fly um vehicles and things like well beasts and swarms become inherently worse but things you know you, you'd want to put your infantry in vehicles rather than have them just slogging around if they don't have fly just so you give them back some of the, the maneuverability or the abilities that they they didn't have and yeah you really would you, you would change what people were able to bring uh, so you, also so you already bring actually up, uh, a really no, to use, from a frontline gaming terrain perspective you actually bring up a really fascinating point that i hadn't considered because a lot of their uh you know magic boxes are boxes right mm-hmm. so like if they don't bring back and as far as I know, they have no intention of doing so. Um, those will be unbreachable boxes. So they're going to be big footprinted buildings. Yeah. That don't impossible. allow Essentially impossible. Hmm. Like maybe land on top. Yeah, that's possible. Like you can go up and around them. But like even still, you know, how they keyword those those pieces will make for a very different game because many of their sets are not ruins. They are um, they are very clearly like whole buildings. Um, so that's cool. Yeah. yeah, like you'd want to, you wouldn't want to make them breachable because yeah, we don't want magic boxes back. But for sure, they should be scalable, right? You should be able to go up and down them, mm-hmm. sit on the top, get some cover. Yeah. So that, so then you so then you you inherently have predefined different metas just based on who the producer of the terrain is. For example, mm. Games Workshop don't make any boxes at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty much, they, yeah. they make they make ruins or whatever. So you would assume that at their tournaments, that there'll be a lot of L's uh, via, via those things and maybe some Promethean pipes for a good old giggle. And then you will, like, and I assume lots of Wildwoods, maybe. Um, and then you would have, like, a lot of minus to hit, like, in there and a lot of breachable stuff. And that really defines the meta from that. And I think that, mm. that's what's interesting from the production side of it is that really you're getting a best fit situation with terrain like and then you after that are saying how does that affect the meta as opposed to 
a pre-designed layout. Like it's kind of weird mm. that we've waited a year for any like Val's like when this becomes the official one, this will be what everyone runs. Well, it's like well, like what are they playtesting on? What are their boards like for playtesting that like um, that establishes this is the points cost of these things because this is the terrain they play on? You would assume that all the way at back at launch of ninth edition that that would have been something in play and something mm. that they knew. Because Maybe. of course, well, would you like, assume that, Rob? <laughs> I would, I would assume that for the, for the for the interest of the audience, and I and I and I won't I won't I won't put any opinion on it. Look, you would, I, but you would you would assume, right? And therefore, hmm. it's we're a year in almost without you any. Would think, actual... You would think that there would be a standard format that everyone was playtesting on. You there would you think. Go. You would think. You would think, and therefore okay. you would think you would see that in the grand tournament, right? So, because your point is right, Adam. Do, you, do they want it to be a more fighty edition? Do they want yeah. it to be a more shooty edition? And just that t- distinction between L's that are breachable or whatever, or like boxes that aren't, immediately changes the shape of the game. And I think that that's one of the things that's most fascinating about the conversation and is really exciting because if you're a TO, you could just go, I'm half and half, half a breachable, half or not. Now, hmm. Adam, you as a list writer, you're way more engaged as a player. You're like, this is cool. Like, how, like, now not only do I have to deal with my army versus all the other armies, I've got to work out what I'm going to do in these two different layouts. And I think, yeah. that that's, yeah. I think that's fun. Yeah, it certainly adds another element. It's, and I like the things that do that, that make your brain tick over, that make you make, make more considerations. Um, I, had a, I had a question. So, that when you guys are talking about, you know, what terrain does G Dub practice on? Um, so, when, when Drakari came out, and when we got, uh, well, I had some trickle down feedback that play that the play testers and the stuff that uh, G Dub didn't think Drakari was going to be as powerful as it was. That leads me to believe that they don't play on the tables that we play on. That we play on denser terrain tables than G Dub practices on. G Dub vets their vets their rules upon um, because you know that as, as soon as you get two large line of sight blocking ruins in a deployment zone, the efficacy and the ability of Drakari skyrockets off off its absolute guts. It is insane, um, and if we were playing on tables that let's say we were playing on tables we were playing in sixth and seventh edition. There was there'd be no, there'd be no nerf you could make the tower that would knock them off being a powerful army. I'm not saying they would be the best, but they would be good. But there's no nerf that you could have that would stop them always being like an evergreen, always going to be good to take because fifty percent of the time you get first turn and you win. Um, and so it's, it's stuff like that. So it does lead me to make some assumptions about what this game is being practiced upon, what it's being vetted upon. Uh, but yeah, not not enough for me to make any you know decent conclusions in any any sense. But moving on. Gentlemen, um, mm. <laughs> when you play, like, uh, we'll, tra- we'll transition this over to talking about tabletop gaming as a whole. Talk about fantasy, talking about Necromunda, talking about all this stuff. How important is terrain to you when you play a game? Val? How important is it? How much do you care? Like some people just don't give a stuff about oh, functionality or viewability. I mean, like, like, how important I, I mean, is it I mean, I started playing with like, oh man, I'm going to sound like such an old person, but like stacked VHS tapes and books yep, and yep. Pa- pots of paint. But like they were vividly in my imagination, buildings and oil drums and stuff. So like uh, one of the first things I did um, with my friends was build like a really cool, actually before Realm of Battle, we built our own four by four, uh, two by two tiles for mm-hmm. a six by uh, four table. And nice. it had like all these built on features. It was like this ruined apocalyptic city. So terrain has always been important because it is part of that uh, cinematic quality that that uh, you know 40k uh, that really makes 40k a really special game. I think without mm. a good terrain to play on, and to me, to me, I don't know that the bar is necessarily super high, but it needs to be. Uh, it needs to have some form, and of course, it des- definitely needs function. So yeah, mm. no, I say terrain is always high on my list, and I've got a big old box of ruins and stuff like that when I do actually get to set up my table. Nice. Rob, same question. How important is terrain to you? Like, How important is to your enjoyment of the game? When I initially started, um, like everyone, you don't really understand if it's important or not important. Um, and then as time went on and I would go to tournaments, like fringe cases would come up in certain situations, especially in the early days of Age of Sigmar. Um, that was something that became really relevant. Or I would go play 40k at Warhammer World and it would be like, oh, this isn't important at all. Uh, <laughs> but like, <laughs> But inherently, the narrative is like a key component of something that's fascinating to me. Like, like I think removing that from the game, even when you're playing at a high competitive level, I think, like, I think it's almost impossible to do so. I think even when you watch like people who are purely mathletes 
just doing numbers in the head and not really connecting. They still understand quintessentially the story of the models that they're pushing around. Hmm. And I think, I think there's an informed narrative there, which I, I love. Um, and I think that there is a, there is a, there is a perfect balance. I think you can have, I don't think it's a sliding scale where it's a certain amount of form, like, um, versus, uh, like function, like versus function. I think you can have both. You just have to strive for it. Like it's a little bit mm. harder to achieve. So it's really important to me. Night so like, really gives you that option too, I think, because of the fact that there's so much more variety, like you were saying before. Like yeah. you can actually you can actually have cool shit with different keywords and combinations yeah. that yeah. represent yeah. on the table. Really important. So, but like, so the Super Series, and for people who are listening, it's an Age Sigma uh, team format that I, I developed and we used. So I had all four of the boards um, that we uh, stream from all designed and they all have a, a story so actually we're, instead of saying we were cutting to table four we would say that we're cutting to lotan's ossuary like they all had a bit of a story to them so that's that we cool would, like so they would be a setting because i think and this is the same for when i worked for games workshop as well like when you're doing coverage or when you're talking about a game of 40k or age sigma or necromunda or whatever it is it's true that there's like a chess mechanic of i'm trying to beat my opponent but it's also true that it's an alive story piece, mm. which you can do both, I think. It's just harder to do both. And I think you can, with a little bit of effort, just make the terrain bring the game to life quite a bit. Like, you know, like you've got a really fun rock and like some guy won't leave, <laughs> where, some guy won't leave the rock. And you, like, you could just be like, he's making a good choice, choice to, you know, be hidden from being shot but maybe he's just in love with the rock who knows maybe it's his favorite rock like, favorite rock yeah yeah <laughs> so one of a kind so i think it's i think it's vital is what i'd mm. say um and i think that that's why they're not being the solutions for people is something that i find quite upsetting yeah i suppose i suppose yeah you're coming from the point of um the this should be something that was ironed out at the start of this edition, not something that we're still questioning. We're still we're having to have an episode on terrain on you know forty three episodes into my podcast, rather than you know just just being a thing we've accepted. I do like that we're doing that though. It means like the, the reason this, they're having this ter- at all. It means that there's a rule set that has terrain that matters. E.g., not eighth edition where terrain did not matter at all, or seventh edition where it married mattered very little. So I'm actually just happy we're able to have this conversation that we have a terrain system in the rule set that's worth talking about. First thing, first thing I did uh, on this show was big props to Games Workshop on doing it. And if yeah. you want like a little sideline uh, for Age of Sigma, the terrain is almost worthless. Does nothing. Has no impact. <laughs> has no what import. Do you, like, it's, what do you mean it, you don't you don't roll for its qualities at the start of the game? And, oh no, we still do that. The, the the, how useless is. it is. No, the mystical <laughs> table is really important. But as in <laughs> as in, there's there's been a, a fairly large uh, shooting problem in competitive Age of Sigma for about a year now, and shooting is also like projection of power from spells as well. There's a lot mm. more kind of like psychic output, just to translate for everyone. Um, in from a lot of the big magic doms is what we call them. Uh, so there's no real line of sight blocking for their ranges either, which is problematic. So yeah. Um, uh, so actually, I was on uh, Warhammer Weekly less than a week ago, l- last Wednesday, if you guys want to go and watch it, um, where I'm working with a group of other people to produce literally exactly the same as Games Workshop, a bunch of keyworded pieces of terrain. Again, shouting out to Games Workshop, they did a beautiful job with uh, 9th edition 40K, mm. creating some keywords. Hopefully, Age of Sigma 3, same keywords. Pretty certain it won't be, seeing as I read the rules. Um, and uh, the so we've just we've created a bunch of really simple really simple keywords like obscuring is basically line that blocking impassable you can't go on it like really really easy stuff so that um mm. so that people can just attach that to their terrain so they can make thematic boards that make sense yeah um because right now with terrain means nothing and it's mm-hmm. you know it was a it, i think it was a very well received show if people want to go and watch it so like yeah like that's that's exciting so 40k is leaps and bounds above age of sigma in in 40k in in terrain and what it does in the game yeah i mean i i totally agree with that i remember playing fantasy as well and i think that's something that the reason maybe age of sigma is lacking behind is because it came from essentially the the fantasy mindset where terrain you know i i played on i played can cons eight, eight game can cons where i had pieces of paper with watchtower and forest written on them as my terrain pieces and just like yikes <laughs> and the, the reason that was there is they were able to do that is because the community wasn't outraged by it because the terrain didn't matter enough for us to be up in arms. Um, mm. 
And so the, the reason, you know, those things are able to exist, naturally we had some huffs and puffs and be like, boy, this is pretty crap. Why well, paid $100 to be here, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it, over in 40K, like we would lose our freaking minds as a collective if anybody tried to pull off anything close to that. In fact, we have in the past. Um, there was events, I think it was events about a year ago, Val, that had um, very, very minimal terrain and everyone was going absolutely spare about it. Might have even been two years ago now. Um, and they had like just like pieces of plywood stacked on top of each other and stuff. Oh yeah, that was uh, that's poor Tony's uh, first first GT where uh, mm. the people who were supposed to bring his uh, yeah his terrain didn't show. And there was also fame. There's the LGT, of course. It, having bad terrain is the easiest way to make a meme out of your event. Even the, the, the <laughs> even the Dallas GT um, recently pre-event. I don't remember how how it was actually once the once the show started but before the event they were showing some photos of like their tables and they got shredded mm. on comp 40k so it's it's you know terrain matters a lot yeah and a lack of it especially at at events um will will really sour people and it would but, really it well it, it on top of that it's such a burden for a, a a TO, like I said, I came oh, back yeah. to this point before. It's such a yeah. burden for a TO to be like, okay, I want my my I want my event to have like up to two hundred people because I don't want to turn people away because naturally, you know, I got, I got to break even on this venue. And but you know, if I don't get one hundred and fifty people, then I, I that costs me about like what two pieces of terrain per table, and then my event becomes a joke and gets ridiculed and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. There's, there's a lot of dangers out there, a lot of things to navigate for TOs. Really, I really feel for them at the moment. And but kudos to everybody who steps up to the plate. Rob, what were you going to say? No, exactly your point. The TOs are up against it. Like, cost projecting now what it costs me to produce terrain by 3D printing. Um, uh, like, it, somewhere between 50, 40 to, to 80 pounds per table. Mm -hmm. um, and wow, that's, kind of, yeah, that's still a lot. I mean, I, I I'll tell you right now, I paid upwards of $700 for my full table of G-Dub, like pipes and ruins and stuff, which I don't regret. It's gorgeous and I like it, but... Like that, I mean, that's not conducive for even a ten-player event to do that. But you're 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 talking about you've you've made your own stuff. You're you're doing it yourself. You're literally taking all the burden upon your own shoulders, and it's still costing you like an arm and a leg. Well, no, like I, I I'm pretty happy with that. Like I like I think fifty, I think fifty to because don't forget, I'm not like I'm not like what's the cheapest and mm. most cost-effective way. I'm like what's the best looking. Yeah, you got to present lowest, it well, yeah. Yeah, at yeah. the lowest price point I can get. So, and that's what 3D printing is. So, I don't think 50 to 50 to 80 pounds, so like, you know, whatever that is in everyone else's currencies is actually that bad. But if I wanted to do 100 tables, now we're talking like 5 to 8,000 pounds yeah. and you're like, okay. Yeah. So, that's what I, I just wanted to mirror your sentiment that those TOs are up against it. But then I don't understand why they're wanting to run 200 people events. Yeah. Because, mm. like, like I, I like really because TOs aren't necessarily business people. It's not about business. Well, it's not well, about it's, business. It's, it's about yeah. quality. Yeah. No, it's well, not. So, <laughs> All right. You, so you I, I, I'm party. gonna. <laughs> Go on, go on, Dad, I'm sorry. Uh, so you're saying, Val says it's a business, which is such a Val thing to say. Rob said it's not, which is such a Rob thing to say. And Adam's like, <laughs> they're just community members. They're just they're just gamers. They don't know what they're doing half the time until they're already up to their neck in it. So, yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, like there's, there's a tremendous amount of logistical planning that you need to do. There's mm. a lot of costs that are immediately become very sunk costs. Crazy amount of labor and time commitment to create those tables. The storage, the storage alone is what's sinking Nova right now. Yeah. They have a they have a, a GoFundMe up to try and raise money because they have to keep all that stuff year to year somewhere. Um, you know, Frontline Gaming gets shredded uh, last for, at the last LVO for selling off a bunch of their surplus mass and terrain. Um, but they do that every year because they don't want yeah. they don't want to hold on to it for the entire year because it just costs like just having it costs money because mm. it needs to be put somewhere. So uh, but wasn't all it because of these things are spreadsheet problems that people don't necessarily and that was I wasn't trying to be flippant or derisive or take away from any of the magic of of these things and the and the effort and spirit that's put into it. But at the end of the day these are spreadsheet problems. Like these are costs and real things that need to be figured out and it's not always mm. obvious. Fair. Rob? Uh, my point was it is it really feels like people are shooting for the stars, like without any sort of concept of what they're shooting for. And mm. like, and the conversation about like, I agree that they're community members and I agree with Val that they get in over their heads, like a lot of the time, but like, there's also that, like that, that prestige that like podcasts, like all of ours at certain points will give 
to these people and like to Val says, mm. like if if it's not up to standard, he gets shredded straight straight away. Whereas, what's the problem with running like a really high quality thirty person event? Like, right. what's the issue there? Like, and that and that's kind mm. of where I'm at. Like, I get it that like it's cool talking about the big event with a billion people, but actually, if it's like, oh, this is a real nightmare to do, like, why are we doing it? I guess yes. like, everyone's doing it because they want the yeah. show, but like, I, like why, like. Uh, like I, I, I'm always on the side of of your average tournament goer. Like you, just, your average mm-hmm. one. I would say, I, I would say, like the the reason why is because, and it's very simple. It's that the ITC was designed to promote larger events, to promote mm-hmm. a more like a bigger, literally tournament scene. We've achieved that goal. ITC needs to change how they how they judge majors and and, and what what makes. Um, a prestige event is should not just be how many tables and people you have. Agreed. Once you're over sixty four, it's kind of dumb. Like it's <laughs> you don't really you don't really need to go bigger than that. So I I, I think um, if I just piggyback on where you were going, Rob, is that I think the the, the quality angle should become what determines uh, you know something as a major or a grand tournament, not just how many people you have. Yeah, that's that was exactly where I wanted to go with it. That like that it being set up as a business, small or li- big, like it's it's wild. Like you start any business, you don't think, oh, what's the biggest I can immediately be? Like that's yeah. a good business plan. Like yeah. <laughs> right, and so yeah, like and and I think we could cycle back a little bit, and especially like nowadays with like in a post-COVID world and everything else, I think they could just be like a little bit more focus on like mm. let's make these 30, 60 people just have a really great time. <sighs> Well, yeah, I actually, and that'd be my advice to anybody out there. If you wanted to start an event, um, literally start with you know twenty. Go for twenty. Aim for twenty tables. Aim for forty people. Aim for thirty-five. Whatever is reasonable. Whatever you've got the manpower and the the passion to do. And keep in mind, the first year you go about trying to put a put an event together is the year you'll have the most fire, the most passion, the most excitement, and that you'll you'll be willing to go above and beyond. And then try to add ten tables a year thereafter. Just that's it. Just trying to add ten more tables every year. And then, firstly, that gives you enough money in the kitty that those ten tables are always going to be of the same quality, never going to get less quantity. Quality, in fact, they could be better quality than the ones you put out previously. That means you get to put in huge amounts of money um, also into things like you know having catering, you know things that make you a prestigious event and a, an event that wants to be known by the quality, not by the quantity. And I, th- I love that. That's where that Rob came from because I feel like you know we've seen things like the LGT. It tried to be enormous straight away and because of that it got a lot of derision it's got a lot of it unwanted attention it got a lot of eyes upon it that weren't very happy with what it did i mean i i do think some of the stuff was warranted i mean terrain you can only do so much there are only so many hours in the day and people let you down and you know people have commitments and think people get busy stuff like the 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 things that they did that weren't safe i I can't exactly get with but you know they've been doing great things ever since in fact zach's like running a whole like circuit now which i think is very exciting and i was hoping to get him on to talk about but gentlemen, I think we've brought we've come to a pretty natural conclusion in our chat here, and it's a pretty good time for us to transition over to part two and talk about some of the more um, hot topics. Even though we did just spend an hour talking directly about terrain, we were supposed to be talking about a bunch of other things. But terrain is a a very prevalent thing and something I'm very happy to talk about and check back in with and do the episode I was planning to do this week, maybe in a couple of months when there's some further developments. Um, Val, Rob, any guys want to chime in? Anything you want to say before we wrap this one up? You're great. That's what I'd like to say. No, thank you, baby. Val. Adam is great. I think you should leave AOW and come over to Frontline Gaming uh, as soon as possible. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, uh, f- you for leaving. I think that'd be about it. Man, I'm going to have to bleep a couple of excellent. <laughs> Val, you're being a menace. Rob didn't swear <laughs> once. Rob was good. I'm going to have to bleep you out. Sweet. Yeah, I'm going to message my editor now. Cut I'll Val for like the whole to- thing. Just me, <laughs> Rob, and Dead Space. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you probably could accomplish it and not lose a ton. Uh, I would say um, I would like to plug uh, Rob on the Honest War Gamer uh, because I like to plug his shows and specifically the 40K adjacent show taking place every noon British summertime uh, uh, on Tuesdays. So come check us out. It's a lot of fun. Me, Pete, and a little guy they like to call Robert Symes having a, having a good old time for about an hour. I tune in every I, I, week and it's one of my my most enjoyable viewing experiences of the week. It's easily I, the best 40K show. That <laughs> I, I, I have no idea some days. I'm like, I like go into it with some general bullet points in my head. I'm like, I'm going to try to steer the conversation generally around these areas is what I aim for. 
my well, head, my brain is a, when going into the show. My head is a vacuum. It is literally <laughs> just a, a void. cavern, a void. <laughs> and well, then you and then you fill it with beautiful pictures, Rob. Literally, gentlemen, for this episode, I was like, we're going to start talking about terrain and see where it goes. And you guys are such pros. We just filled an hour of talking about terrain. Pretty meaningful stuff as well. You have wonderful opinions, and I like that you guys play off each other so so very very well. You can tell there's some amazing connection and rapport there. I'd like to thank you both very very deeply for coming on my show. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, those listening at home have enjoyed this little you know trapace through the the topics of terrain at the moment. Um, if you have enjoyed it and you want to hear the rest of what we're gonna oh, what trapace. Trapace through the topics of terrain. Like trapes? Yes, that's it, whatever. Is that how you pronounce it over there? I think maybe, so. I, maybe I've been pronouncing it wrong my whole life because it's one of those words you only uh, read and uh, never say. Como se dice uh, trapes? <laughs> uh, anyway, come over and join us. Go to theartofwall40k.com to purchase the second part of this podcast in addition to the the amazingly curated by the entire Art of War team regular Art of War podcast. So for those of you who don't know, usually the John, John um, Damaris and Nick Nardavati podcast has been spread out through the whole Art of War team. That's going to be a cycling thing of hosts. You're going to get a lot more variety from the content that they mm-hmm. produce. <laughs> Fair. I, th- I suppose we, we had to get one in there, Val. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm right into the editor right now. Uh, <laughs> delete. But uh, thank you so much again, again, gentlemen. On that note, I will say goodnight. You've been enough of a menace. Uh, uh, love you very much, Rob. Thank you so much for your time, Val. Uh, you can go fuck yourself. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Take care, gentlemen. And see you both on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.